35. And then we have Michigan football for you Saturday at high noon against Toledo. That available online on the WCBN Sports Room. We'll leave you the same way we began that. Bruce Springsteen and Rich Rodriguez from Ann Arbor. Good night. Mistakes at key times, key areas, big mistakes that allowed some big plays on both sides of the ball. And thought we played a little soft. No, I mean, it, it, you can run full speed and still be soft. I mean, it's a physical ball game. And there comes at a point in time where you have to play physically. You can't catch people. You can't allow them to block you. you got to want to block them. You know, and you know, when you don't, to me, it's not they're not trying, and they sometimes don't even realize it. But unless we become a tougher football team mentally and physically, we'll have a lot of problems. Well, it's a mindset that you got to have each and every day, and we talked about last night. You don't just wake up one day and say, oh, I feel good today that I'm going to play tough, or I feel good uh, today I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play physical. It's a mindset that you have to carry when you go to practice, and then when practice is over, you switch it back off. you know, you got to cross that line and you flip a switch. And that's not to hit guys dirty or cheap or get stupid penalties. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about at the point, inevitable point of contact or collision. I should say collision. You know, you're either, you know, some coaches say you're either the hammer or the nail. I'd rather be the hammer. We weren't the hammer. What I said, well, I don't remember exactly, but I said the worst thing you could do is to watch some film and say these guys are soft and lazy. I'm not saying we're being lazy, but we played soft. Good evening and welcome to another edition of Gray Matters, the weekly news and media talk show. My name is Dick Whaley. And I'm Jim Dwyer. And you betcha. God darn. I gotcha. God. Uh, We'll just give Sarah Palin a brain damage award. (laughs) She was pathetic. Um, I did want to bring up one thing specifically about her folksy style. Uh, and I guess I'll launch into that in a second. First, I want to give Ramesh Panaru from the National Review a brain damage award. Of course, the conservative spinmeisters were ubiquitous, uh, claiming that Palin did what she had to do tonight. And uh, his quote is remarkable. He said, the biggest loser tonight was Tina Fey. <laughs> really? <laughs> uh, her impressions seem to be... More popular than ever. Um, And I think that's part of Palin's problem. But when she came out on stage and said, can I call you Joe? That was a setup for later in the debate to bring up the famous baseball quote, (laughs) say it ain't so, Joe. That relates to the Black Sox scandal of... Of uh, I think it was 1919. Anyway, it was Shoeless Joe Jackson, a very famous uh, baseball player who has one of the all-time highest batting averages in baseball history, and he's not in the Hall of Fame because of his involvement in the Black Sox scandal. And that was the famous headline about him, Say It Ain't So, Joe. And you think she was 
going to throw that out there? Well, she did throw it out there at some point during the debate. It was one of her <laughs> little folksy um, expressions at one point in, in uh, response to uh, what he was saying. And I, to me, it was just remarkable. And by the way, the, the, the polling from independent voters as to who won the debate was just... It was probably the biggest margins I've ever seen in one of those who won the debate uh, polls because it struck me that uh, there were just two different people up there. Joe Biden was essentially talking about policy ideas and Barack Obama and basically just sort of being a spokesman for the campaign Um, with a lot of details, a lot of facts, maybe too many details at times. But Palin was not out there to save McCain. She was out there to save herself. And as a result of the debate, it just didn't cut any mustard. She just didn't move any independents or any Democrats and probably even cost McCain even more votes as uh, more polling data seems to indicate that Obama is now up 50 to 42 in the latest daily Gallup tracking poll. Well, we can talk to you about the McCain's withdrawal from Michigan entirely. Yeah. As far as her performance in the uh, debate, um, you know, it was a success in that the threshold of success was so low that she didn't completely implode. Um, I finally, after reading and hearing so much about her interview with Katie Couric, watched it on YouTube, and that was mind-boggling. Yeah. I mean, that was astonishing. And all my, you know, 20 years of following politics, I've never seen quite a performance as that. And so, you know, she came out and she didn't collapse. She didn't implode. And, I mean, that's the measure by which her success is gauged. Right. Um, but, you know, as uh, to make another historical reference, um, Hans, the performing horse, you know, could count mm-hmm. because he'd been trained to stomp his foot in a certain way. And if you listen to what Sarah Palin had to say, um, you know, she gets points for perkiness and folksiness, but she spoke in tropes and winking. She spoke in cliches mm-hmm. and she spoke in, you know, easily ejectable phrases, um, really less than no substance. <clears throat> um, yeah, it was it was frightening. And she, of course, she literally had nothing to say for many of the uh, I mean, I don't think she really responded to a single question. Um, I thought one of the questions when... uh, She had her talking points and her talking style, and she stuck to it. And um, I agree. I mean, there's no point in making fun of her accent, because she has a kind of a classic Western accent. But it's what she says that you need to make fun of, because there's nothing there. Uh, The emperor has no clothes. (laughs) Well, the uh, question that... One of the questions that stood out to me was when uh, Gwen Ifill asked, you know, is there, with the economy being what it is, what plans does your administration have that might, you know, have to be reined in a little bit? Um, Kind of bizarre in a way that Biden throws out there that we want to slow down the commitment we have made to double foreign assistance. Foreign assistance is kind of poorly spent and and misdirected. Maybe as much under a Democratic administration as as a Republican one, although clearly the last eight years have been egregiously bad uh, with how we've thrown money around and to whom we throw it around and what we get for it. You know, yeah, because Pakistan. The, well, the four the four largest recipients of aid, and this is fascinating, are Israel, Egypt, Colombia, 
and Pakistan. Winning company there. <laughs> and so, yeah, what are you going to say? That's a bizarre uh, spending. So leaving aside Biden's comment, uh, Palin's response is that she didn't think there was a single program that had been promised that would be affected. Right, because she said, I've only been at this for five weeks, so I haven't made any promises. Because, yeah, they've kept her locked in hotel rooms trying to brief her about basic policy ideas. And, of course, there's nothing there. She doesn't even understand what the vice presidency is all about. She was asked some questions about that, and she was out in Dick Cheney land. Yeah, and, and, you know, to mention Gwen Ifill's performance in the debate real quickly— she was fairly even-handed as she's writing a book about Obama. So the well, he's in the book, and that. I and I do have a comment about that because that was classic uh, racist uh, implication on the eve of the debate. There were a bunch of uh, that she's incapable of. Uh, well, yeah, that she would be biased, right. quote unquote. Um, and incidentally, the book is about Republican African American politicians as well. It's not a book about Obama. That's just inaccurate nonsense that these blogger, these conservative bloggers, came up with. But that was a sort of. Oh, we're going. It's sort of in, in basketball, they call it working the refs. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. This yeah. is what it was. It was basically we're going to make a complaint before the debate is even conducted to, to let everyone know that if Palin falls on her face, it's because Gwen Ifill is biased. Right. In fact, Ifill, the problem with her was she wasn't assertive enough in terms of. Hey, you know, I asked you a, a question, and you You're are going to get around to an answer. <laughs> are talking about health care, or you know, and, and Palin when she had that little moment where she uh, corrected Joe Biden on on drill, drill, drill when he was talking about energy, uh-huh. and she goes, "No, Joe, it's drill, baby, drill," and I was like, "This is <laughs> incomprehensible." Biden was making a point about energy. Palin is trying to make a point about what this phrase is supposed Bumper to be. sticker slogans. <laughs> and I'm well, like, if okay. anything, I thought Gwen Ifo was very even-handed. Because, oh, yeah. uh, strangely, I'm not familiar with this as a regular routine in, in debate um, presentations, but she would ask two questions at the same time before, and then she would say, well, I'm going to ask you, Governor Palin, blah, 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 and then Senator Biden, I'm going to ask you, blah, 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 Senator Biden first. And giving... Sarah Palin, like four minutes to doodle in her little notebook over there and figure out which talking points am I going to pull down out of my mental PowerPoint. Right. And one wonders. I thought that was very generous. <laughs> one wonders about the cheat sheet, you know. <laughs> Did she have a cheat sheet? And Or was she being fed stuff on a Blackberry? You know, these, as a teacher, yeah. this is something that during test taking and, you know, this is something I wondered about a little bit. You've got to watch students with their cell phones because Mm -hmm. very sophisticated devices. You can take photos, you know, send a copy of the test to a buddy who's taking it later in the day or something. Uh, Text somebody for what the heck is, you know, the capital of Minnesota or whatever. And, uh, you know, who knows? I'm not suggesting that that's uh, the case, but she probably would have benefited from something like that. And, you know, in that regard and because of her folksy demeanor, there is a sort of, I think, um, Reagan-esque element to her that, uh, regardless of whatever the outcome this November is, that I think she's found uh, the heart of a number of Republicans, which raises the question for me, why are the Democrats so reluctant to nail Ronald Reagan? He's yeah. become like this wholly unassailable figure um, that because he's passed or something or because so many people seem to love 
the, the Gipper, the great Mr. communicator. Reagan. Yeah, I mean, there you go again. <laughs> and she even used that one. I know. know. It's <laughs> like, come on, I know Reagan's dead. But uh, there's plenty that's wrong with America today that can be traced back to his administration. Sure. And, and, and in fact, this is. So why not do so? Yeah. In other words, don't link it just to the last eight years, link it to the entire ideology of uh, of Reaganomics and where it's gotten us with these deficits. I and mean, one of the things that keeps baffling me about the uh, the ineffectiveness of the Democrats on the tax cut uh, issue, of course, McCain has just repeatedly misstated Obama's position on the matter. But I just don't understand why the idea of the tax cuts. Tax cuts are just a simple concept of Keynesian economics. They're nothing that Ronald Reagan invented. Um, John Kennedy had tax cuts. Tax cuts were used during the Great Depression. But the point about the tax cuts, when they lead to massive deficits, is taxes don't go down. They go up. It's simple accounting. You cannot continue to operate these massive deficits and not have taxes go up. And taxes, in fact, went up considerably under Ronald Reagan. Yes, he cut, cut the marginal rate for top uh, income people, and this has resulted in this incredible um, disparity of wealth that, that's accumulated over time and uh, contributed to the worst disparity and in inequality, income inequality in American history since the 20s, which, of course, is why we continue to have uh, these these problems in the in the financial markets, the stock market, and whatnot. And there was another global uh, mini crash today. Uh, the European stocks markets were down seven, eight, nine percent. The American, uh, the Dow at one point today was down eight hundred points. It recovered, quote, but it was still down almost four hundred <clears throat> points. Yeah. So there is serious economic uh, hemorrhaging continuing to occur with. Um, no uh, light at the end of the tunnel. Indeed, uh, somebody characterized it. There's actually a train coming at us at the end of the tunnel. <laughs> but uh, no, Palin's performance was, in my book, pathetic. And I realized that the conservative uh, spinmeisters have to come on television. And I didn't hear anyone actually say that she performed like a thoroughbred, but... No, that's why I made the Hans the Counting Horse reference. <laughs> clop, 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 clop. But uh, I don't know. Uh, Palin is just not there. And yeah, the, the Katie Couric, uh, the final, you know, it was interesting because of all of the financial catastrophes that have been occurring over the last three weeks and all the financial news and the bailout bill, this, that, and the other. The Couric interview has sort of been you know, un, un, unveiled in sort of doses, little little medication doses that I'm sure that John McCain is scooping up <laughs> on a daily basis to uh, deal with all of his physical ailments. But, uh, I mean, the, 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 the not knowing a Supreme Court case, being unable to name one, or saying about newspapers and magazines... All of them. Any of them. <laughs> Whatever people put in front of me. <laughs> I was like, this is staggering. This is, I mean, the Supreme Court question, that's like an eighth grade civics knowledge. And, of course, you know, Palin probably has forgotten all of that. Um, she, of course, denounced a recent Supreme Court ruling regarding 
the Exxon Valdez uh, business up there in Alaska. And by the way, it was reported today, I don't know if you saw this late-breaking report, that uh, uh, Hurricane Ike, there is uh, now 500,000 gallons of oil that spilled in the Gulf as a result of the hurricane. Drill, baby, drill. Drill, baby, drill. Oh, that's the slogan, Joe. You you don't get it. Drill, drill, drill is incorrect. It's drill, baby, drill. I was like, what are you talking about? Oh. Well, I, I guess it's fortunate that there aren't going to be any more vice presidential debates. Well, one one last thing about the debate, and we'll, this one has a likelihood to come up again in the two. There's two remaining. There's one tomorrow debates. night that's a sort of a town hall uh, style format. So McCain may actually come through because he is better in that that's format. What they say. So we'll, we'll see. see. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, some angry people out there, but. Uh, this doesn't come up. Uh, it hasn't come up so far in either of the two debates we've seen. Whenever the matter of spending cuts, what would you cut? What would you not be able to do from your, you know, platform, your suggested programs? The 800-pound gorilla in the room that nobody can talk about is, as we've mentioned on here before, defense spending. Yeah. And, of course, it's not just an 800-pound gorilla in the room that nobody can talk about. It's the 800-pound gorilla in the room that's spraying feces all over the wall. Yeah. And nobody can talk about it. And yet it's, okay, well, we need more people in Afghanistan. And if we pull back from Iraq, you know, as the Obama's position, then we can refocus and reconcentrate on Afghanistan. And militarily, that's the sound approach. If you're going to run a late-stage empire, that's what you got to do. But, my goodness— we still have troops all over the world now in Korea, in Germany, and and of course General McClellan. That that was a wonderful. Oh, that mo- was another bizarre moment. Yeah, I was trying to figure out whether it was General McClellan from the Civil, Civil War, War that Lincoln had to fire because uh, he wouldn't attack. Let's get Ken Burns out here, <laughs> straighten this matter up. Couldn't couldn't attack, and in fact, McClellan ran against Lincoln. For president, right. uh, challenging his conduct of the war, and McClellan, when he was found out he was <laughs> being replaced by Grant, um, made some comment. He said, "Well, Grant's just a drunk on whiskey," and Lincoln said, "Yeah, and he knows how to win. <laughs> You're fired, dude." <laughs> and I, you know, maybe it was Scott McClellan. Who knows? Yeah, but she didn't know anything about what had gone on the the, the previous two days because that was obviously not part of her intense coaching. training session. Intense training, and yeah, you just have to you have to wonder. I mean, it's completely obvious that picking her has just been an enormous mistake. But I, I think that it is frightening when you when you you know realize that this debate drew seventy million viewers, significantly more than the presidential debate. Well, they wanted to prep themselves maybe for Tina Fey's upcoming skit later that week. Yeah, of course, it was on a better TV night. Uh, so, there, I mean, there are some invalid comparisons. But, uh, yeah, to, to claim that the biggest loser tonight was Tina Fey by a National Review pundit is, I don't know, that's blindness. Well, that's a, you know, a magazine famous for its humorlessness, if nothing else. And, of course, the editor... Uh, had a very impressive uh, comment that I don't have in front of me, but he was the one on his blog who said that Sarah Palin made him sit up straight because the television had little sparkles coming out of it. 
when Keith my Ober- precious pony. <laughs> Keith Olbermann goes, well, um, <laughs> in analyzing the uh, deconstructing the comment, he said, you don't need to tell everyone in America that you were masturbating while watching the debate. <laughs> No wonder the ratings were so high. <laughs> Sitting up straight. Oh. <laughs> Unbelievable. Oh, boy. Well, is the era of dominance for the conservatives over? Uh, very interesting John Harwood article here. I'm not going to read too much of it. Interesting juxtaposition of Ronald Reagan and FDR. But on the bailout, because that, of course, was a Republican melodrama that turned into a psychodrama last week. They voted down the package last Monday. Uh, by the way, it was mightily improved by the uh, the Senate, but it was still... What on earth are tax cuts for for Bacardi rum doing in this bill? It's, and this thing about wooden arrows yeah, for children? wooden arrows for children. How does, how does that happen? I was like, uh, how about some toy cannons? Don't cannon? we import those from China anyway? Toy cannons. I was like, whatever. But, uh, and we can talk about the bailout uh, fiasco, because there is one very interesting option that the Secretary of the Treasury has regarding the so-called alternative option. I thought it was fascinating to listen to Bernie Sanders' critique of the uh, bailout bill. Um, he voted against it along uh, with, I would say, a couple of the most liberal Democrats in the Senate uh, with mostly uh, conservative Republicans. But I th- think that this is an interesting analysis uh, regarding the, the voting of the bill. Um, and this is quoting... Uh, Uh, Charlie Cook, who's sort of a political handicapper regarding Congress. Uh, And John Harwood writes, If so, House Republicans refused to acquiesce last week in uh, initially opposing by a two-to-one ratio the bailout that a Republican president and Treasury Secretary called essential. Fear of political fallout played a role. Eighteen of the 21 Republicans labeled vulnerable— uh, in the Charlie Cook political handicapper, voted no, as did 12 of 17 vulnerable Democrats. And then he goes on to note that the strategist uh, Mr. Cook sees just one Democratic Senate seat at risk compared to 10 for the Republicans. Um, so some of the no votes uh, are explained simply by political expedience because this great myth was created that there was overwhelming opposition nationally to the bailout package when, in fact, it was uh, kind of an, you know, 30-30-30 kind of uh, breakdown in the electorate. Now, certainly the mail and the telephone calls and the emails were running something like 100 to 1 against the bailout. Um, because what the bailout effectively is, folks, is it's, it's raising the debt ceiling another $700 billion. It's providing this mythical uh, idea of liquidity um, somewhere down the road. And, and, in fact, the Bush administration has even admitted that it's going to take at least a month to get some of this money uh, in the pipeline. So I think between now and the uh, election day, we're going to see continuing declines in the stock market uh, 
huge increases in joblessness still. But because it, in fact, will ultimately increase the deficit, Yeah, it's just... Forgive me for extending the fecal analogy, but this is a, a surprise in next year's, in subsequent years, Easter baskets. Yeah, and whether it will even work is still a right. bit of a mystery. Um, this, uh, by the way, uh, if you do get a chance uh, listening to podcasts, I would highly recommend a uh, episode of This American Life this past weekend. Yeah, that was outstanding. That. Um, did some kind of uh, educational descriptions of wh- how we got where we are. Um, you know, they addressed, uh, I just have some sort of brief notes on this, but they have a, uh, they had a segment on the commercial pa- paper market uh, that they went into the details as to why there is this uh, problem on a daily basis. And this gets back to LIBOR that we talked about a couple of weeks ago, the uh, the uh, British uh, bankers, fascinating article, right. by the way, in the London Review of Books, the 25th edition, by uh, Donald McKenzie, What's in a Number? And he notes that LIBOR anchors contracts amounting to $300 trillion, the equivalent of 45000 for every human being on the planet. goes into the problems of <clears throat> deregulation. And this <clears throat> mysterious thing called credit default swaps that uh, Warren Buffett has called the financial weapons of mass destruction. When you hear a uh, r- expert on the subject, and they quoted a number of very um, interesting experts on some of these problems and how this unraveled uh, just over the last couple of weeks... When you hear an expert, uh, and I believe the professor's name is Andrew Ang, he notes that there are $5 trillion globally in corporate bonds, but there are $60 trillion on bets on the corporate bonds. And this is where the problem is. By the way, this is all completely unregulated. And You're not talking about like casino gambling, Macau, any of that stuff? This is actual... Betting. Th- these are quote contracts. I mean, that kind of speculation yeah. is really what they're side betting. contracts. And what is fascinating about how we got to where we're at uh, concerns Lehman Brothers. It was actually the inability of Lehman Brothers recently to f- to find a buyer. Uh, they were basically sh- shut down. This forced an Asian bank to default on money that uh, they were counting on from Lehman mm. that never materialized. And this is what led to this unraveling and is why the government, by the way, had to take over AIG, um, the largest, quote, insurance company in the world. The government currently owns a 80% equity stake in AIG. And how they sort out that complicated uh, toxic waste is unclear. But uh, this, uh, this, this American Life episode is uh, just fascinating stuff on the, the details. And I think the final little segment that they had was basically, is the bailout going to work? And, of course, nobody knows. But essentially, the essence of the, the Paulson plan that's been modified quite a bit is that the government is taking over, quote, 
toxic assets or crappy assets that banks don't want that they are then able to take off their balance sheets that then allow them theoretically to start loaning money. But the problem is the entire financial system is broken down because the banks don't trust one another anymore because mm-hmm. they because of generally accepted accounting principles and there's no adult in charge supervising any of this. There's no master of the universe. Uh, there is no Yoda out there. Or Save us, he will. Obi-Wan Kenobi or anybody else. And as part of the Senate plan that was passed, there is an alternative um, option that the, the Secretary of Treasury has. This presumably under an Obama administration will not be Hank Paulson, though he may stay on for a month or two, to break in the new guy or gal. But uh, hopefully... Obama will somehow be able to convince either Michael Bloomberg or Warren Buffett himself. Perhaps he's the only person that can be Yoda in this case and calm the markets. But the alternative, and this isn't this is very important that they um, figure this out. These toxic assets, quote, have no price. If they go too low, the banks will still lose hundreds of billions of dollars, and if they go too high, taxpayers will lose the hundreds of billions of dollars. However, injected into the uh, final bill is an option where the Treasury Secretary basically, it's like the AIG thing, they, they basically become preferred shareholders in the bailout, and this is where the bailout package may eventually be going. So if you get a chance, uh, do find this on your uh, podcast if you're into that sort of stuff. Hopefully they'll replay this again because it was a fascinating um, This American Life. And at the end of the day, it was interesting that because it was all about the breakdown and trust and honoring contracts and, you know, who's who knows what. And, you know, just last week we had a glaring example. I just wanted to very quickly comment on this as we let you know that you are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. I thought this whole rigmarole and controversy over the Wells Fargo um, Citigroup controversy regarding uh, Wachovia is just fascinating. If you'll remember last Monday, and it's just been incredible how Monday has turned into this incredible banking news day. Because, you know, the markets are closed for a couple of days. There's festering panic going on over the weekend. Nobody knows what to do. It's the whiff of America. But, you know, on Monday, Wachovia, because it was the last day of the quarter, coming up on the last day of the quarter, they needed an injection of capital to pay off their small depositors. If you have a savings account, and I'm sure you have a savings account, I do. We get paid. Modest one. Yeah, yeah, modest one. We get paid on the 30th of September, the 30th of June. You know, the quarter, the end of the quarter. And they needed $2 billion of cash that they couldn't come up with. So that's why the FDIC over the weekend had come in to force the sale. Three days later, they, after the Citigroup had given them the cash... They say, oh, well, we're getting a little better offer from Wells Fargo. They're willing to pay us $7 a share. And we won't lose quite as much money. And it's an, it's an entire stock swap, which means it's all paper being swapped around, which means nothing in my book. 
So uh, this is just an example of the, there's no honor among thieves in, in the banking world. This is uh, an amazing stuff, and who knows how this is going to be resolved. Talk about a disaster. Well, time will tell. And uh, But maybe Sarah Palin.